Hey friends and fellow walkers, today on the show we have one of the godfathers of what I would call modern progressive Christianity, author and creator, Spencer Burke. If you haven't dropped an F-bomb on God, I don't think your relationship with God's deep enough yet. If we're not reading the Bible through Jesus, and we're taking everything as equal and giving everything uh, the same weight and taking it at its face value, the Bible's an incoherent text. How can you say, listen to the cries of the poor without looking at what makes them poor? You don't have to believe certain things to be part. The irony is that you can be pro-guns, pro-death penalty, pro-military, anti-environment, and still say you're pro-life. But people get really uncomfortable. It's like they want to have their religion and they want to have their porn. They want to do both. I don't think any form of Christianity deserves to survive and thrive if it doesn't come to terms with the racism of our past. When we really tell the story of Jesus, we find a God who comes to the point where it has all collapsed. If a good teacher is to get a student to get the right answers on the test, and if Jesus was supposed to get us to get the right answer for when we die, then can we just be honest and say, not a good teacher? Let's be honest, winter makes us want to sit around and do a bunch of nothing. That's why we need help with our health and nutrition. And who better to help us with that than Rise Nutrition? You can find them at Rise Menominee on Facebook. And just for Jesus Never Ran listeners, you can click on their link in the show notes and get a free wellness profile. That's Rise Nutrition. Find them on Facebook at Rise Menominee. That's Rise with a Z. At Jesus Never Ran, we've been having these fascinating and challenging conversations for just about a year, but our guest today has been engaging in this dialogue for over 30 years. Ladies and gentlemen, Spencer Burke. You know, my friends have uh, said that I'm the Forrest Gump of the Evangelical Church. So in the 60s, I was in the tent with Chuck Smith, and we did the baptisms down uh, at the ocean, that whole deal, and then... I got a kind of a front row seat with the uh, mega church movement, and I was actually teaching pastor at Mariner's Church down here for a, a number of years, and then I left that and believed that something else was emerging and starting. We didn't know what it was called back then. Eventually, Phyllis Tickle kind of caught on to it and said it was the emerging church, which uh, she said every 500 years there was some movement that would happen. And so I started a little website called theooze.com. And eventually, a quarter of a million people jumped on uh, from a hundred different countries, from uh, different theologies, different ethnicities, different thoughts of life and philosophy, but they all had in common, they thought they were the only crazy one out there, you know? <laughs> and uh, there was this sense of, there's got to be something more. And then in the last 10 years, uh, I believe there was another shift. I thought the emerging church had emerged. It did this wonderful, amazing work that allowed us to have these great conversations about gender, equality, and social justice. And, and so then I moved on to work with the denominational churches. Uh, and actually, uh, the last few years, I've been Minister of Innovation for the Disciples of Christ, Pacific Southwest region. And a year ago, I launched out of that, uh, believing there was more than just working with only denominations, but kind of seeing that the mega church felt like life was, you know, missing and emerging church really has almost been kind of wandering about, you know, how do we not just have a conversation? How do we do something about this? And so I launched a new initiative called Lean Faith, 
which kind of integrates lean methodology in with the idea of what it is with the church. How can we actually think about taking action, not just talk about it, but actually do something about it? That's wonderful. I'm so excited to dig into that more because I think the Lean Faith Canvas is just fascinating, really super interesting, and definitely an opportunity for us to move some of our thoughts, ideas, passions forward. But before we get there, do you mind sharing what it's like? Because I feel like at Jesus Never Ran and in my own life, these conversations have been going on for a little while, but I'm so excited to have you on the show because you've been engaging in the topics we talk on this podcast about for decades. So what's it like being on the front edge of this progressive, I guess, modern progressive faith movement? I do feel as if I've always kind of been in the innovation level. And so a lot of your listeners probably feel like that. Like, wait a minute, you know, there's got to be something else. There's got to be something new there. Uh, that's a unique breed. There's just a few people in that game. And I don't mean that as elitist. I'm just meaning that there are a few people that that just really motivates them and excites them and energizes them. And they'll talk to some friends where that is terrifying. That's scary. You know what I mean? So it's not better or worse, but realize that there are a few that'll be out on that leading edge. The downside of that leading edge is there's not a lot of people out there, so you don't have a lot of conversation. A lot of people think you're crazy. A lot of people are going like, wait a minute, slow down, you know, whatever it might be. And that can be frustrating. The other part is there's not a lot of profitability in that world <laughs> because there isn't a market. So the, the pleasure and enjoyment and motivation of being in that space is the virtue of designing and developing something fresh and new and interesting and innovative. And that's the reward. You feel like you're out on that edge in the innovation world. And it's like, wait a minute, you know, I was saying this 20 years ago. So for any of your listeners that feel like I've been saying this at my home church, I've been saying this at my mission group, I've been saying this in my small group, I've been all orthodoxy comes from heretical thought, but not all heretical thought becomes heresy. You can be crazy and wild and only time will tell if you were on the right side of history. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't keep being heretical. A heretic is somebody who's inside the industry, inside the group that is calling something out. Uh, I wrote a book uh, with Barry Taylor called Heretic's Guide to Eternity. And it was calling out these things. Well, eventually, a lot of these things that we were questioning, you know, uh, the role of trying to hold hell over people's lives, you know, as the, a particular way of getting in and finding fire insurance and then living your life any way you wanted. You know, it's like, wait a minute, these have to be a line. You know? So back then it was heretical. You read it today, you know, 10 years later, and it seems mild. And so I think part of that journey is the ability to rest in being who you are, not trying to be somebody else. You are unique. You are different and you think differently. And that's the conversation I want to be in. That's the place that I think the most energy and excitement is. It's not the place where you're going to get your book contracts. It's not the place where you're going to have thousands of people show up to your church. It's not the place, you know, where everybody's going to know your name. But again, I think the trade-off's worth it. 
I couldn't agree more. The trade-off is definitely worth it and still feels like we're on the leading edge of this conversation, even though you've been having it for so long. But I do know, and this is part of your heart and it's my heart as well, that there's definitely a phase, right? There's a time to deconstruct our faith, especially if you were in the evangelical world, in the conservative Christian world. Many people, I would argue probably most of the listeners of this podcast either are in the midst of or have gone through what is being described as a deconstruction phase where you're questioning a lot of the things that you've been taught about faith, about God, about Jesus, about heaven and hell. But there's got to be this point then, and I'm hopeful that we even corporately, collectively, are getting to this place where the deconstruction happens and then we make some plans or we make some movement going forward. So the question I have for you as somebody who's been here for a while, how do we begin the process of moving forward? Because I'm hearing from a lot of people this feeling of I can't stay where I am, but I don't necessarily know where to go next. I would say I always try to add S or ES on everything. So it's not just what's the next church, it's what's the next church is. It's not what's what's your theology, it's what are your theologies. In this day and age, I don't think you can align anything in such a small box that all of a sudden it works perfectly. We're in an age of disruption. We're in an age of innovation. And because of that, there are going to be seemingly contradictory things that will work together. So when someone says, you know, I found this little Episcopal church down the street, and they're in the liturgical calendar, and they're up and down, and I love that, you know. But then also, I'm in the park, and we're feeding people, and, and we're listening to spiritual stories, and both of those are my church. I embrace that. I go, that's where you go to churches. And I believe that God can blow up everything and change God's mind, and, and then also I believe that this is right and true. And I go, well, I embrace those theologies. Do you see where it can kind of take both of those and hold those? What I would say is that Catherine Kubler-Ross, the idea of grief and grieving and the five stages of grief, of death and dying, I think we have to be honest and understand that there is death that is happening right now. Death of dreams and desires and beliefs. And that I actually think in a lot of ways, the five stages of grief are going to be part of our process. You just have to identify, you know, are you in denial? Are you bargaining? You know, have you moved all the way to acceptance? You're like, and everybody will stay in those stages at different places. So give yourself grace. I think in a lot of ways, the same way that we have had the great awakening, I think we're in the great lamenting. So I don't know if as a woman that you have been grieved by the church deeply because of their denigration of you, they're putting you in a secondary role, you know, whatever it might be, I think you move through that, you know, to a place where, you know, you are untamed, you know, a fierce voice, all of these things that uh, have been emerging. And, and then I hope eventually there is this sense that we take all of who we are and we even go beyond that into a unity place where we're not identified then as a grieved person from the church. The value of being able to understand where you are on that road, but embracing all of who you are. And I, I also think uh, you don't need to wait for permission. 
You don't have to wait for permission to leave. You don't have to wait for permission to stay. You don't have to uh, wait for permission to, to protest or to go and lament in ashes and sackcloth. Do that, be that, whoever you are. And then as you emerge out of that, let's take action. Let's be involved. I totally get what you're saying. And I agree with what you're saying. But on some level, that's easier said than done. Because even though, again, I agree that we don't need permission, sometimes it feels like we're waiting for permission. And to be honest, myself, I'm sure you and many of the listeners of this show, part of the difficulty of deconstructing or moving away from conservative Christianity has been the response of people in those conservative circles of faith. I think, as Brian McLaren talks about the great spiritual migration, is that people haven't left the church. They've just migrated. They've moved to another place. You know, it's like, why do you hate the church? Uh, why do you hate the Bible? Why do you hate religion? I don't know if any of your listeners have this sense that people are judging them that way. You can come back and say, it's because I've been reading Scripture that I understand that the least of these are so important that it's not that I hate the Bible, it's because I've been reading the Bible, maybe even for the first time, that I'm angry, I'm insulted, you know, and I'm going to take action, you know. It's not because I hate the church, I love the church so much, I leave her and I redeem her in this way, you know, and I take action to be the church or churches in this way. You know, I love Jesus so much that I choose to not believe that Jesus is that white American Jesus, that there is something different and more and beautiful and eclectic than that. So at a certain point, the grieving, the lamenting, I think, turns into this beautiful opportunity to express. But don't cut your grief short. Don't cut your lament short. Sit in it. Be in it. Be safe in it. Find others around you that will let you be safe in that space. If you haven't dropped an F-bomb on God, I don't think your relationship with God's deep enough yet. You know what I mean? If you haven't walked away from the church for maybe even months on end, I don't know that you can emerge out of that fully appreciating where you're at. Spencer, I am discovering that one of the biggest challenges in moving forward is not falling into traps from our past. And what I mean by that is we get so accustomed to the way things have been in our life, ministry, faith journey, that now that we have kind of this new understanding or new belief system or new concept of how to follow Jesus, that we're trying to shove some of our new hopes and dreams for our future into old concepts that we're just so comfortable with. And one of the spaces that really in my own life personally feels like it's falling flat is I'm trying to come up with the idea or the solution or the concept that's going to fit everybody's needs because that's a little bit of what my career has been. You like you take this thing and it works everywhere. But this faith movement that is happening right now 
it's very, very unique, and it seems that everybody is looking for something a little bit different. Is this problem unique to me, or have you sensed the same thing in your life? I was starting to love my solutions rather than the problem. I would say, wow, you know, everybody's just going to leave church and start small house churches and whatever, you know. And then I'd, you know, try to budget for that, staff for that, raise money for that, everything else. And uh, it was sad when my solution that I loved so much didn't solve the real problem. Nobody wants to build something that nobody wants. You don't want to solve a problem that's not a real problem. And I think that's the greatest learning that I would have had over the last 20 years. I believed I knew best because based on my experience, I contextualized it and said, everybody's like me. That's why I think that there are churches and theologies. You know, we've got to be very careful. So I uh, painfully started this lifelong saying, which is, if I'm not a little embarrassed about what I said yesterday, then I haven't learned anything today. And I would even say, uh, not what I said, but what I did and what I believed and what I held. You know, so I believe we have to have humility and hospitality for people and ideas, because ultimately we have to let go of things. We grow. I mean, when I was a child, I thought as a child, but now I put away childish things, you know? So there is this sense, especially as, a, as an ordained minister and a preacher, you know, I, I go back and listen to some of my talks and I'm like, I am so, I burn that thing, man. I am so sorry, you know, because I've got a 40-year experience, in it, you know, cassette tape library, you know, like that's just so sad, you know what I mean? And I've said things that were stupid and dumb and ego-filled. And I hope that we as people of faith don't have one conversion, but we have millions of conversions. And ultimately, this may sound weird, but I hope that we have millions of gods. And it's this sense that I have to fire the god I hired this morning every day because that God was something that I made up in a lot of ways. It's what I believed and thought. But as I learn and grow and hear another perspective from another gender or another orientation or another ethnicity or another country or another perspective, all of a sudden my God gets wrapped up and I throw it away and I go, what a small God, you know, what a punitive God, what a, what a ridiculous God, you know. And so in that way, I think we have to be of action, which is a humility and a willingness to say we don't know it all, uh, we don't have it all figured out, we don't believe it all, and our solutions should not be loved. We should love the problem. And if the problem is people are having a difficulty now finding community, that if we start to say, oh, how do we just build one more Sunday morning? I think that's the wrong approach, the wrong starting place. Such great wisdom. Thank you so much for that, Spencer. That's perfect. All right, let's jump into Lean Faith Canvas. This is a new passion that you have going right now. It's a really practical way for people to take their faith and to move it forward, to put some action behind their faith. So when I heard of Lean Faith Canvas, I had no idea what that was or what it meant. So why don't you share with us just a little bit about what it is that you are doing and creating. What I'm doing now is I'm trying to help people 
figure out what are next steps. So it's uh, the Lean Faith Canvas. Uh, and ultimately, it's launching love into action. That's my goal. So what I've tried to do is take all the learned principles, ones that are known and experienced and uh, work well proven from Lean Startup, and then integrate it into faith communities. There are five tasks that I believe that we should be working with. And the first is observation. We need to be listening and hearing and seeing and asking questions before we ever start any kind of programming or planning. And it's out of that listening, out of that hearing and thinking that we could start to build a prototype. That's the second task. Uh, but even if we build that prototype, we need to realize that it might not work. In fact, I kind of promise you it won't work the first time. So you go back to observation. So you go back and forth between observation and prototyping. And then eventually when you find a prototype that kind of works generally, then what you do is you start to move towards partnering. And then out of those new partnerships that you'll find, you'll try to figure out your sustainability. How do you create this so that it's sustainable? And then from there, we move towards sharing. And now in the Lean Canvas, you know, the idea of how it works in business, the sharing is actually what's your competitive edge? You know, like how do you hold on to your market? Whatever. And that's why I felt like we needed to create a Lean Faith Canvas. Again, it's all built on Creative Commons and it helps us actually take what's done in the real world that's had to handle disruption and movement and motion uh, and then say, how might we be able to integrate that, adapt that and contextualize that uh, within the church community or faith community, nonprofits community. Such a fascinating, interesting, practical concept. And at least at a cerebral level, it makes a lot of sense to me. So thank you for that. I'm looking forward to digging into it even a little bit more. Now, we've had a difficult year. 2020 has been hard on all of us. But now that we're past it, not that we're past a lot of the issues, we're certainly not. But now that we've made it through such a turbulent year, where do you see hope in your life, in your work? Where are you seeing or where do you have hope for our future? Yeah, so ultimately, I hope that individual communities will try to learn how to launch love into action. It doesn't have to be huge, big programs, everything else. I'm not a systems guy in that way. I'm more of a person who says, how can you change the, what you can change in your area? And then I think if we change enough of those, there will be a movement of all these people who are moving forward. And there are beautiful movement people that are doing things. But I honestly think we underestimate what we could do in our own hometown, what we can do in our own community. And I think that also moves us away of a sense of helplessness, uh, you know, a sense of victimization, a sense of feeling overwhelmed. And so if we can you know, change one thing in our place, um, and this is the other part, is that these stories of people who have kind of changed their trajectory, their community, are the things that I weep about. You know, have you ever had that feeling like someone starts to talk about this big thing and, you know, whatever, but then someone talks about, you know, how they were loving and caring in their community and they did this beautiful, wonderful thing that we might even consider just a gesture of love and care and compassion and mercy. I just, I weep. In this day and age, I have a real difficult time talking to my friends and in Christian community about right and wrong 
what is sin and what's not sin. Because I hear some Christians talking about some things that I think are absolutely bigoted and, and brutal and not listening to the widow and the orphan, and they're calling that Christian love. And for me, it crushes my heart. I die hearing that, you know. And then I hear another group talking about the widows and the orphans, you know, and the other group says that's wrong, you know. And then I also hear on the extreme, a group like, let's go and blow the whole thing to hell. Let's destroy it. Let's, you know, and I'm like, that's not helpful either because you're not listening to each other. So there's all the extreme on the continuum, right? So I can't talk about what's Christian and not Christian and what's uh, sin and not. I have a very difficult time with that anymore. But here's what I do know. I believe Jesus's mission and ministry was to teach us how to be human, how to be incarnate here on earth. Philippians talks, too, talks about this whole idea of Jesus emptying himself, the kenosis past, right? And leaving godly behind and taking in the form of a, a servant, a human being, that would ultimately go through all of these places of showing us how to be human up to a point when humans tried to kill him because of political motivation, religious motivation, and greed and jealousy that Jesus would ultimately die and even say, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. What an ultimate act of human compassion for other humans when other humans lose their way. At that point, Jesus was being humane and everyone else was being inhumane to kill him, even ultimately with a cross. So what my measure of right and wrong, good and bad, sin or non-sin, Christian, non-Christian, following Jesus, not following Jesus, is ultimately the idea, am I being humane to my other human beings? Or am I being inhumane? So when you listen to a politician, you listen to a religious leader, ask yourself, does it sense a chord of humanity, of human dignity at its core. And if it does, then that's something I'd follow. That's something I'd believe in. But if it has a sense of inhumanity, destroying another person's human dignity at its core, I think that is antithesis to Jesus's mission and ministry. Perhaps in trying to be godly, we've forgotten what it means to be human. And so ultimately, I think Jesus' ministry and mission was to teach us how to be fully human in a world that constantly is trying to dehumanize us. Special thanks to Spencer Burke for being on the show this week. You can find out more about him as well as more about the Lean Faith Canvas at SpencerBurke.com. Burke is spelled B-U-R-K-E. To order Spencer's book, A Heretic's Guide to Eternity, just hop on Amazon and type it in the search engine, or I'll have a direct link in the show notes of this episode. Tune in next week as we have an incredible interview with just a wonderful human being. His name is Pastor Michael Hidalgo, and he is the lead pastor of Denver Community Church. You will not want to miss that episode. As always, you can support the Jesus Never Ran podcast by subscribing to it, giving us a five-star rating, and writing a review. Until next time, keep walking.